This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station. If you're a teacher and sometimes wonder why you just can't get through to your students, have you ever considered that it might be due to some kind of hearing problem? Your students might not have a total hearing loss, but they may need some assistance to cope in our ever more demanding classrooms. My guest today is Jim Russell from Hearing Loop Australia, and he works closely with schools to create environments that cater for students with hearing issues. Whilst Jim explains how the new technology available today is making a big difference for students with and without hearing issues, he also explains that there is much to be done in improving our learning spaces for better hearing as well. I started by asking just how common hearing problems are in Australian schools. Uh, look, it's on average you're looking about um, a school-aged child, you're looking about every two in a thousand um, have a hearing impairment. Um, about one child every day gets diagnosed with a hearing loss. Um, so you're looking at about 12,000 children a year on average, seek some sort of assistance. Okay, and when you say hearing loss, when they get diagnosed with a hearing loss, does that mean that they've had some kind of a catastrophic event where they suddenly absolutely cannot hear? Um, yeah, it can be something like that or it can be just something like a, as simple as a ear infection, ongoing ear infections. Um, sometimes it's, it's hereditary where it's a nerve-based deafness. Wow. Um, so there's, there's definitely lots of causes Um and we're getting much better in Australia at diagnosing it earlier with our newborn hearing screening program that we run um, for all children born now within Australia. Um, but you definitely still see a later onset around that school age, and it's just because of the way the middle ear develops um, in our children. It's much flatter than mm-hmm. what it is um, in, a, in an adult. So Yeah. And you were mentioning that there was a, a, about 12,000, wasn't it? 12,000 students seek help every year? Yeah, it's about 12,000 a year um, based on the, the most recent sort of figures I've looked at, and that obviously changes here and there, um, which then obviously changes as they get a little bit older as well. So I think by the time students get to secondary school these days, they're now saying about three in 1,000 children require some sort of assistance due to hearing loss. Mm. Um, so it, it increases as they, as they get older as well. Does the increased use of um, headphones and putting earbuds in your ears and perhaps listening to loud music have something to do with the increase in secondary school or is that just a wild guess? Uh, look, I, I, I think it's definitely uh, an area that's getting researched heavily at the moment and, and I think early stages of research is suggesting that uh, headphones are definitely going to impact um, and are starting to have an impact on our children. Mm. Uh, especially if they're, they're not monitored at the right sort of volume. So yeah. um, the nice thing is iPhones and, and phones these days have the option to limit volume output, oh, okay. um, but you do need to go in and set it up. So um, out of the box, it's not set up to do so. I'm, yeah, because I'm, I'm surprised that uh, there's not – well, I'm surprised that we're not reading more about it because the other day I took my son to school and on my way out of the school – so I normally take him right into the classroom because it's fun to do that – you know, dad takes you all the way to the classroom. That's pretty cool. And then as I was walking out of the school, I couldn't help but notice that almost every single student, because it's a, it's a K-12 school and I happened to walk out past some of the senior students coming in, 
almost every single one of them was connected in some way. They either had uh, earbuds hanging out their ears, which was mostly the case, or headphones. And I'm just wondering who's who's watching this. So out of the twelve thousand that that seek assistance, and there's a little bit more in secondary, is that just the ones that are officially diagnosed and reported? Do we have any any idea as to what might be going on besides that? Yeah, look, that that's the so the figures that we've got are only what's diagnosed and reported on. Um, as for the other population, it's probably harder to pull that figure. Um, we know for adult populations, um, you're looking at about one in six adults have a hearing impairment, um, and that's kind of in the older adult bracket. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know only a very small percentage of them, about 20%, I think it is, off the top of my head, that actually have sought assistance for their hearing impairment. Wow. <laughs> so there's a, a massive number of even adults walking around with undiagnosed hearing loss or untreated hearing loss at least. Um, oh. It might might be diagnosed but may not be treated. So, And it's not recoverable, is it, as, as, as far as I understand? Yeah, generally not. So you've got um, a few different types of hearing loss. So if it's what they call sensory neural, which is a nerve-based um, hearing impairment, that's non-recoverable, um, which is predominantly what we see in adults. Um, and then we have a conductive loss, which is a middle ear um, loss, which can be temporary. So um, that can be from something as simple as a middle ear infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that ear infection clears, generally the hearing will come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes some sort of medical intervention can improve that scenario. But if it's left ongoing, um, then obviously the chance of recovery in that space is um, reduced as well. What about the hearing loss that might apply to, say, uh someone of my age where uh, I might have this crazy idea one day to go and see an ACDC reunion and, and I go, <laughs> go and watch the performance and then come back and think, oh, I'm not sure I can hear particularly well and then I might wake up with a headache the next morning. What's going on there? Um, so generally, and, and you get that ringing, um, if you've been to exposed to some loud noise, you generally get that temporary ringing in your ears, which is what they call tinnitus. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, that is early signs that you've just done some damage to your hair cells in your inner ear or in your ear. Um, basically anything above about 85 decibels is going to start doing damage. Yeah. Um, and basically we can withstand about 80, 85 decibels for about eight hours. Right. So that's kind of our recommended safety guidelines within Australian standards. Um, but every three decibels you go above that, you've got to halve your amount of time. Wow. So if you think of a, an ACD concert, you're probably going to be peaking somewhere around 120, 140 decibels <laughs> of, of noise at times. Um, so you can see your exposure in that space is pretty well instant. Um, you're going to do some damage within. So <laughs> I like the way you said that you'd be exposed to noise rather than loud music. <laughs> yeah, well, well I mean, at, at that point, it's, it is almost just noise, but... Um, <laughs> Well, I guess it de- depends what you define as as noise. I guess so. So, should I go to the concert wearing earmuffs or something like that? Yeah, look, um, you can get um, music earplugs, which kind of just help take the edge off it. So you still get a really good, rich, full sound, um, but you're just taking that edge off. You're taking that little bit of volume down, um, which does help protect your ears. So it's definitely something that I use when I go to concerts. Yeah, um, is I've got a set of custom made 
earplugs with a, a noise filter in them so I can still hear the music and I still get really good clarity of what's what's happening um, by just taking some of that edge off the volume. Oh, okay, that's fascinating. And is that because you have a sensitivity to, to noise? Um, no, not necessarily. I think I've just worked in the hearing healthcare industry now for about 16 years, so I just know that the, the impact of that long term is 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 significant and knowing that you can never get it back so um even with hearing devices or hearing aids uh, they are what they are and they're they're an aid you're not going to restore natural hearing <laughs> two things that i'm going to do firstly i've just turned down my headphones <laughs> slightly because <laughs> now i'm just a little bit paranoid and uh, the next time i go <sighs> to a concert i'm either going to take uh, some form of earplug or perhaps even my uh, my um Earmuffs from the garage. I might look a bit strange, but hey, <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of total loss. Regularly, then you invest in some earplugs, so they're not as noticeable. So I've got little clear earplugs that fit just inside my ear canal. So yeah. most people don't even know I've got them in um, while I'm there. Um, so yeah, it depends how often you go, I guess. But yeah, if you're comfortable wearing earmuffs, by all means. <laughs> okay. Coming up, Jim talks about the actual technologies he uses in classrooms to help students. More on that in a moment. And if you'd like to hear how other assistive technologies are helping students, listen to my conversation with Sam Kingsley from The Brainery about how companion robots are helping learners. Would you believe that people really do confide in robots? The other thing as well with, with robotics, which is I, find, I personally find really fascinating, is um, just across the board, um, is that people feel more comfortable actually divulging personal information um, to a robot. Really? Rather than to a human. Yeah. <laughs> really? It, it uh, blows my mind to a certain extent. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. But when wow. you think about it, it, um, it does make a bit of sense. Well, uh, I think uh, I think the Terminator series tried to communicate that in, t- <laughs> in T2 when the when the young boy was trying to communicate with the Terminator on a completely different level. I don't. I'm not in any way suggesting that the humanoids and robots that you're talking about or that you. To hear the full interview, subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app and search for the episode on social robotics, or visit the website central.com.au/podcast. Now, you provide solutions for schools, uh, presumably for a classroom situation where there are maybe one or two or, um, students who have some kind of need for hearing assistance. Can, can you describe what that is? Yeah, so we have a, a range of um, or a, a package of products, basically, that is designed to work with hearing impaired students' personal devices. Um, it's a teacher's microphone, um, which I'm actually wearing one at the moment to send my audio back through the computer. Um, mm-hmm. So basically it's a teacher's microphone that allows the teacher to basically talk at their normal volume and transmit that sound directly to the student that has a hearing impairment to their device. But we can also then take that wirelessly to a specially designed sound field speaker. Um, so we use a product called Phonak Roger Dynamic Soundfield. Yeah. Um, which is basically a wireless um, speaker system um, yep. that has a wireless microphone for the teacher, a wireless microphone available for students to use as well. So students can use a microphone to hear themselves back. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Everyone else. Uh, and then we've also got 
um, audio devices that connect up to TVs, projectors, other audio devices in the classroom that um, are fairly common these days. So what does it look like? Is it like a, like a PA speaker that's hanging from the wall somewhere? How, how does it fit into the classroom environment? Is it, is it obtrusive? How does that work? No, generally, it's, a, it's a, 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 like a round cylinder. Um, it's about just under a metre in length, uh, which has got an array of 12 speakers in it. Um, we can either mount it on the wall, um, and generally most people, once it's up, don't notice it's there, um, or if people want it as a portable solution, we've got floor stands or um, floor mounts that they can then move around as they need to from classroom to classroom. So what does it sound like to the person who has relatively normal or ordinary hearing when that thing's running? Does it sound a little strange? Look, I guess people initially will notice it a little different. Um, The idea of the speaker is it's designed to provide clarity and not necessarily volume. Um, We don't any more volume into classrooms we already know classrooms um, background noise levels these days have increased significantly over the last um, sort of 10 years mm. um, to a point where it's actually we need to start working out ways to bring that noise down um, okay. we don't want to introduce more noise where where we can help it um, so it's designed purely for speech clarity so it's designed purely to focus on the speech range um, and give that little bit of clarity to the teacher's voice and not necessarily volume so unlike a traditional PA system or a PA um, speaker where it produces a louder volume um, this particular speaker is not designed in that way and the students who then are in that situation, the, the students who don't have hearing problems per se, do they give you any kind of feedback as to whether or not that improves things for them? I mean, so I guess where I'm going with this is, is this purely a device that gets used for assisting people with hearing loss or can it actually improve things like um, uh, concentration or attention because they're, they're more able to tune into what's being said? Yeah, look, absolutely. So it, it is designed for everyone in mind. Um, so we know that a normal hearing impaired, no, normal hearing student in about the fourth row of a classroom hears about 50% speech understanding, which just means that they're having to concentrate significantly harder to be able to hear that content. Um, so the idea of this speaker is once it's in play, basically no matter where you are in that room, it sounds like the teachers are talking about a metre away. So the volume and the clarity is like someone standing a metre away from you. Okay. So even normal hearing students do find that they don't have to put as much effort into listening, um, which means they've got more capacity to actually start remembering what they're being taught and not spending as much energy and effort on listening to what's being said. Um, So Definitely normal hearing students do report benefit in that way and that, and even parents do report the exact same thing. So um, I've, I've heard lots of parents come to me and, and say, look, my, I can notice that my son or daughter don't appear to be as, as tired at the end of the day um, and it's purely because they're not having to put as much effort into listening to what's being projected over the whiteboard or the the TV or from the teacher. Wow, that's fascinating. They don't, do they then follow up with a question of, can I have one for the home? <laughs> yeah, look, I've, I've definitely had people look at them for the for the home scenario. 
it is a portable solution. It is wireless. So as long as you've got mains power, you can pretty well set it up wherever you want. Um, so it is nice in that regards. And the microphones have got all rechargeable batteries in them and the transmitters have got rechargeable batteries in them of, that last about 12 hours. So you can get good use out of them in that way. Um, most people, unfortunately, don't tend to invest the the amount of money in, in setting them up for the home, but definitely some people have. They probably think more about uh, setting up a microphone with their home theatre. <laughs> yeah, and you want a different sound quality, I guess, if you're listening to a movie versus listening to someone teaching you some content. Um, so people might want to utilise their existing home theatre speakers. Then yeah, we can definitely plug in our microphones and our transmitters into the TV so they're getting both both sounds so they're not having to concentrate as hard as well on those movies. What about, uh, we've talked about students who have uh, hearing loss, but I'm, I'm curious to know, do you have any experience with students who perhaps don't have so much hearing loss but have a problem with what they hear and how their brain perceives it? And I'm thinking specifically about um, things like auditory processing disorder. Do you have any experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I personally actually wear, I don't have any hearing loss on normal hearing, um, but I wear a what they call a Roger Focus, which is a ear-level receiver. Um, but basically what it allows me to do is hear what's coming from the microphone or the um, whiteboard transmitter um, directly at my ear level, which means that I'm getting a better quality signal directly into my ear. So you take away the effects of room acoustics and things like that, which means I don't have to concentrate as hard. Hmm. And research is showing that someone with a hearing impairment using this technology hears about 62% better than a normal hearing impaired person without any technology yeah. um, at sort of moderate background noise levels of about 75 to 80 decibels. Okay. And what about uh, other things like um, the cochlear implant? How does it work with that? Or is that, yeah. a, different, is that a different idea altogether? Um, no. So generally there's a universal receiver option that we can connect up to cochlear implants um, or different hearing devices, um, either directly into an audio input that's on the implant. So there's a little special receiver that connects into each implant. Um, or more traditionally, there's the telecoil that most hearing aids have had in the past. Um, and there's a neck-worn receiver that would then utilise the telecoil to transmit this signal through to their hearing device. Is that that, um, is that that thing where you see a sign on trains and in conference rooms and classrooms and things where they say, hit the T-switch or something like that? Correct. That's exactly that's exactly what it is. Um, so we utilise that existing technology, but to give them a new digital signal, basically, um, that is dynamic. So the other thing with this particular technology is it's dynamic, which essentially means that as background noise goes up, the volume automatically also goes up to maintain that level of speech signal above the background noise. And it's about 10 decibels is what they try and maintain. Looking forward, in terms of the the way that classrooms are designed, if if you could have your ideal classroom design, given all of the uh, hearing and sound and background noise issues that we've been talking about, what would that look like, and what sort of guidance would you give to educators or ed- education um, education space designers who are about cool. to embark on uh, creating what would be the ideal space? Yeah, look, based on my 
personal experience within the hearing healthcare industry and, and research, um, open plan classrooms just aren't great for acoustics um, for, for many reasons. And generally, I've got hard surfaces everywhere. So ideally, we want to try and keep the, the room sizes um, probably what they more, more traditionally were, around eight, nine metres square, mm-hmm. um, but with lots of soft furnishing. So putting in, making sure there's carpets in place, making sure there's soft furnishings on walls, um, not making sure there's as limited number of windows and, and, and hard surfaces like that as possible um, because reverberation in classrooms has a significant impact and um, there's a there's a great TED talk that um, I use regularly um, by Julian Treasure um, that does talk around the importance of reverberation times and there is Australian standards for what classrooms need to be um, for reverberation times um, and it should be around 0.4 to 0.5 seconds. Um, most of the time, most classrooms are probably sitting at about 1.2 um, so over double what they should be. Right. Um, and it just sounds really echoey um, and even someone with normal hearing would struggle in that environment. <laughs> Is that why we all go so crazy at the end of the day in the classroom? Maybe just because we're tired of the echo? <laughs> yeah, look, and it, just, it does become more tiring because you've got to concentrate harder and harder to be able to pick out the the information that you need out of what is also in all that other noise that, that gets created because of the reverberation. So so is there actually work being done in, uh, as in, or more commonly, is, is there work being done on how to build better classrooms or is this still just kind of a, a thing on the edge? Are we responding to this? Uh, look, I think it's definitely getting looked at. Um, do I think we're there yet? No. I think we're, we're still stuck in a space where we're still putting in open plan classrooms. We're still putting in lots of glass windows or louvered windows, um, which is great for other other things like airflow and especially up here in Queensland where the weather's hotter, they put in lots of windows because they're increased airflow, so they're not having to use air conditioners and fans as often. Um, Obviously introduce more noise, um, but the thing is they obviously introduce poorer acoustics. Um, So it's finding that that balance between the two and there's definitely more research getting done into that space now um and the impacts of having poor acoustics um but it's just going to take some time i think to to re-educate our architects and our designers around the importance of having good sound acoustics in a classroom well it sounds like you're making some great advances in that space jim it's been great to talk with you this morning thanks so much for your time that's right thank you very much colin You've been listening to Central Station. To find out more about assistive technologies for students with hearing impairment, visit the Hearing Loop Australia website, hearingloop.com.au. And for all our other episodes, you can subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or visit the website, central.com.au slash podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.